Okay, welcome back. This is another installment of the Great Heavy Music Podcast, and today will be just like all the others and being great because we have with us today a great lead singer and founding member when he was the only member of the band Theocracy. So with me today, as always, is Phil Collins, my amazing co-host. But Phil, I got to say there's somebody here, I don't know, maybe a little bit better singing voice than you, Matt Smith of Theocracy. Matt, can you say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. Hey, Alex. Hey, Phil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We are the ones who are delighted and pleased that you're with us because one of the albums that we chose to review last year or early this year uh, that was with Phil was your album Ghost Ship and that was an album that I had picked for him to review because I loved it so much and I felt he would love it and ultimately it turned out to be his favorite album from 2019 that I had him review. Now we understand it's a 2016 release but of all the albums I had him review last year I think it was his top spot. So Phil you're a pretty big fan of the album right? Absolutely. I thought it was just so uplifting and catchy and just from top to bottom, just absolutely rife with just songs you could put over put on over and over again. I just couldn't stop listening to it. So I, I was blown away by it. Wow. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So before we before we dive into that album, and we're going to let you tell all our listeners and your fans, you know, what they would know behind the scenes. Otherwise, if they hadn't heard it from you, let's talk about the inception of the band and just a real quick history. It was you all by your lonesome for a couple of years, right? What was that like? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny because you know people always ask about that and and sort of you know make it a big deal, like oh you you know it was a solo project and you played everything and you blah 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 and it's like it was really just out of necessity because I grew up uh you know in the country I'm in in Athens Georgia basically and grew up a little outside of Athens which is you know hour hour and a half outside of Atlanta and uh you know on a farm and all that stuff and and just didn't know anyone who was into the kind of music that I was and so it, it sort of you know there you know, Athens as a town is, is a music town reputation, but it's, you know, for metal and especially for, you know, melodic metal like we do, it's not that kind of thing. And so, I, you know, I didn't know anybody. So it was just a case of, you know, what I always wanted to do was write songs. And so um, it was, well, you know, if I'm going to be able to demo these, I, I'm just, I just need to do it. And so that's kind of how it went. And then um, it basically, this guy Darren who had a, a label called Metal Ages he heard the the demos that I did of these songs and and that basically became the first album so it wasn't you know it wasn't even conceived as a record as much as uh you know just writing songs and then it kind of went from there and so so it wasn't so much you know wanting it to be a solo thing as much as as just not knowing anybody at that time well, you could have just as easily not done it. Probably a hell of a lot easier not done it. So, what <laughs> felt, what drove you to be so compelled to write this music? You know, you know, a lot of people out there who could be making excuses as to why they can't uh, create music, but you did, and you felt compelled. You had something to share. What was that that was driving you to to compose and write music? I just had to. I mean, it it sounds like a cliche, but that's just what I. I was so driven, especially back then. That was all I wanted to do was write songs. I was obsessed with it. It's the only thing I wanted to do my whole life, basically, aside from, 
you know, there was a stretch when I was a kid when I wanted to play in the NBA, but that obviously wasn't going to happen. So, so uh, we went to plan B and, and, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was the only, the only thing that I ever wanted to do all my inclinations sort of went towards, towards that. I was obsessed with, with, right. I mean, even before I could play an instrument, you know, I would sit in school and make up fake bands and fake, uh, albums and track listings and imagine what the song sounded like. And, and, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about these song titles that weren't even real, you know, so it's just, I don't really know. Uh, other than that, that was just, that's just kind of what I was always driven to do. And, and, and I mean, for, you know, it all went hand in hand for me because I, it wasn't the, the sort of cliche for me of, you know, learning to play guitar, uh, you know, to impress girls or whatever it may be. It was just like, the reason I picked up an instrument is because, well, if I'm going to write songs, I've got to be able to play something, you know, I've got to be able to put these ideas down. So, so that was my, my singular obsession. You had to learn your language of expression. That's crazy. That's really neat. You know, when I, when you hear Athens, Georgia, I immediately think of REM. And I think that's probably the biggest name of a band from that part of the world. I don't know if that's the biggest, but it stands out to me immediately as REM. So if you're in Athens, Georgia, where you said you're in a rural setting and you have this drive and this compelling desire to produce metal music or somewhat melodic, you know, out of the mainstream type of music, where did that come from? Where where were you even exposed? Like, did you just hear one, you know, Metallica album and your whole life changed, or you know, what 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 was the impetus for that? Uh, there were a few bands. Um, Really, the big one for me was Queen Drake. Um, it, you know, there were there were several before then that I'd heard, and I really liked the music and and uh, and and was into it. But you know, once I heard Queen Drake for the first time, and and you know, Metallica is too as well. Like you know, like you said, although that was a little bit later, but um, it was like wow, you know, this is this is something just totally different from even from, you know, the rest of the stuff that was on the radio, you know, it seemed so much more intelligent and thought out and, um, evocative and, and, uh, you know, cinematic in a way. So I, I was kind of taken by, by all that. And then that's, I don't know, there, that's just kind of, I didn't really think about, uh, I guess, you know, picking a style that I was into or whatever, it just sort of, uh, I just sort of gravitated towards what I loved. And there, you know, it was, a, there was several different things. I mean, even, you know, around the house growing up as a little kid, it was, you know, my, my, my dad was always playing Southern gospel and all this stuff. So there was a lot of like harmonies and, and, um, you know, singing in church and, and that kind of thing. So I had a natural ear for it. And so, um, all these things kind of, I guess, work together sort of in a stew and um and uh kind of formed my you know both my taste in music and then also what i ended up doing what a uh, what a great coincidence sorry that you were able to sing so great too were you just happy to discover that about yourself like i want to make this music and then oh by the way i can do it you know yeah it was it's well it's a funny thing because uh you know, even the singing thing, obviously people, I guess that's how, you know, people think about me or talk 
to me, the things they talk to me about, you know, because obviously I'm the singer in the band, but it's like, I don't think of myself that way. For me, it was like, well, somebody's got to sing, so I guess I'll do it, you know, and, and, um, and I could always sing, you know, we, my, I mean, my family's very musical, but, but I still don't really think of myself as a singer, you know, like, like other people do, you know, people who just love to sing. That's what, that's just, you know, what they live for. They'll do it. They're happy singing anything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like that to me. It's a, I'm, I'm thankful that I can carry a tune, but it's more, it's just a vehicle to be, you know, to be able to write and record songs basically. So seeing yourself in that light, what is it that you want? Well, two-part question. You shifted because, as you described, you were in necessity by yourself, but now you have a full band. So you have clearly managed to take your drive and message and find people who believe in it and want to join with you, which is a really cool thing. So I want to hear a little bit about how that kind of came to pass. And then also when you have people like Phil and I who discover an album like Ghost Ship and we love it and we love the positivity and the energy and just the beauty of it, describe, you know, what you want the the average listener to get from your music because you, you, you're, it's really clear, which is cool, that you are doing this because you just have this drive and this kind of just this power behind you that you want to share this message what is the message? What do you want the listener to take away? All right. So, uh, the first part of that, so it was actually kind of interesting because, um, in spite of what I said earlier about, you know, growing up sort of, you know, not quite in the middle of nowhere, but, but, um, definitely in the country, you know, and not really knowing anybody. And then, you know, we did this whole first record and then, it turned out that that Sean, who was our first drummer, had lived five minutes up the road from me the whole time. Never knew it, never met him. He was a friend of my cousin, and um, and so uh, basically, my cousin was. Uh, he's like, hey, I, I you know I know this this drummer, you know, who really likes you know your album and wants to get together and and uh, you know he he. He kept saying that to me, and and then finally we ended up getting together and and uh, jamming, and that was kind of, you know, and then and then there were two of us finally, so you know we jammed, and then it kind of went from there, and then by that point, you know, the first album was out, and and you know pretty well received, you know, in in our little genre or whatever, and so, you know, by that point there were other people who who really liked it and and were contacting me, and then so then John our guitar player, you know, he lived in Atlanta and, and he was a, a big fan of the first album and, and, um, you know, relatively local. And so, you know, he contacted us and he came out and jammed with, with me and Sean. And, and so that's kind of how it's gone. You know, it's like, you know, once that first connection was made and once the record was out, you know, it was a little bit easier because, you know, people were interested. So, um, and then, you know, there obviously there've been some changes since then, but but you know, all local guys. You know, Jared, our bass player, was um, a good friend of mine, and and so, you know, we got together, and then um, you know, we met Val, who's our, our lead guitar player, who's in Atlanta. You know, so everybody was kind of in the area, and and um, it just it just grew over time. You know, and it's been 
but it's been uh, piece by piece. Like, you know, for Mirror of Souls, the second album, we were three piece by that point. And then, and then it wasn't until As the World Bleeds, our third album that, you know, that we had the full five person lineup and even, and well, there was a stretch of, of a uh, four piece for a good while in there too. And I was still playing guitar live and, um, I just, I just didn't really like doing both at once. And so I was, I wanted to eventually be a five piece, you know, where I could just concentrate on the singing thing. And, uh, so that's, that's what finally, uh, came to fruition, uh, with album number three. So it's been a, it's been a process for sure, but it's, it's felt pretty natural. And then once we, um, you know, again, there have been some changes, but once we kind of locked into it, it's been, it's been fairly steady. And, um, so the, the second part of that question, it, well, it's kind of a multi-part thing, but so, you know, we're a Christian band and, and so all, all the, the lyrics and the songs sort of have some, you know, branch out from that in, in some fashion. Um, we try to make it a, a pretty good variety. I mean, there there has to be something there, you know, to spark me to want to write about it, either, you know, something that I'm going through or something that, you know, someone I know is going through or, you know, something historical that I think is interesting. I mean, it could be anything, but but sort of the the bigger thing behind that was, you know, I grew up in a time when and this is probably just kind of where I was in exposure, but, but, you know, when I was, when I was looking for Christian bands that I liked, it was like everything I could find was, was either screamy, you know, that was the, all the rage then. So it was like, you know, hardcore, you know, or, or death metal or whatever that, you know, way off in that direction or like super, super cheesy. And I, I couldn't find that you know, a band that kind of scratched that, that Queensryche itch that I was talking about earlier, where it was like, you know, where you could tell that there was a lot of intelligence put into it and, and, um, emotion and the stuff had meaning and it was, and it was deep and it wasn't like, it didn't seem surface. It didn't seem embarrassing or whatever. And so, you know, and it's not to say that bands like that weren't out there, obviously, I'm sure they were, it was just, you know, my exposure. And so, again, it sort of came down to, to, uh, well, I can't find this anywhere, so I'm just going to do it. And so I, you know, I was like, maybe we can, maybe we can be that band, you know, for some kid, you know, since I couldn't find that band, uh, when I was looking for it. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's funny to kind of look back and analyze this thing because, you know, I, I never thought about it and, and, these sort of terms when I was doing it, it was just kind of what I felt led to do, you know, what felt natural and what I, what I wanted to do. But, um, I think that's probably, you know, you know, breaking it down, that's probably a lot of, of, uh, kind of where it was coming from. You know, I wanted to, I've always tried to make music that I, I want to listen to, you know, and, 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 um, I guess that goes for a bigger picture as, as well, you know, in, in terms of, um, the substance of it. So there you go. So so as we sit here now, do you feel accomplished? Do you feel like you've kind of done what you want to do? Or as I'm guessing you're probably going to answer, because you're probably like most perfectionist 
constantly driven people, you probably feel like you haven't even hardly started and you have so much more to do. Where, where are you in that kind of timeline? Um, well, you may be surprised, but actually, uh, more recently I've, I've felt way more towards the former. Um, yeah, that, that's actually kind of what I've been been going through a lot lately because it's like I, I was so driven, I mean, maniacally driven, I mean, for so many years, but there was never, but it was all about writing songs. It wasn't like career aspirations kind of thing for me. So, so everything that happened, you know, with the, what are, you know, whatever, five European tours and all the albums and all that stuff, everything has kind of seemed above and beyond kind of what I, what I, uh, ever expected or envisioned, I guess, for this thing. So, so in that regard, I kind of feel like, um, you know, it's exceeded my, my dreams. You know, all I ever wanted was, was people to hear my songs and that happened. And then, you know, everything else has kind of been, kind of been gravy. So, so yeah, I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately, you know, um, in terms of, of, uh, how long I want to do it and, 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 uh, you know, how I feel about that, that sort of thing. Cause I, you know, my, my big fear from the start was, uh, you know, I would see all my favorite bands and they would, it seemed to be like they'd around five seemed to be the magic number. They'd put out five great records and then they'd start to fall off either quality wise or they'd, they'd start to put out, you know, less inspired versions of, of the things they've, they'd done before. And, and that was, I was always terrified of that. You know, I, I always said, I'm going to stop before that happens. So, you know, I don't know when that will be or, or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, I also kind of stupidly around the time of the first record, you know, did all these interviews where I, I constantly said publicly, you know, we're never going to put out a throwaway song, you know, everything, everything that we do, you know, it's, you know, it's not for me to say if it's good or not, but it's going to be absolute, you know, 100% effort. So, you know, once I can't get to that point anymore, um, I don't, I guess you don't know till you get there, but I don't think I'll have a problem walking away because it, it's just, I'm much more scared of, of the other thing when, you know, sticking around too long and, and kind of not having, not having that same, that same inspiration because it gets harder, you know, the more, the more you do it, which is the thing, the thing that, uh, is sort of hard to, to expect or account for because it's not a skill thing. You know, it's like, you know, I, I feel in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm better technically at writing songs now than ever just because I've done it so many times and I know what I'm doing, but, but man, once you've, you know, once you've covered all these subjects, you know, from, from all the perspectives that you have in mind and you've you've used x number of chord progressions you know it gets it gets harder to sort of you know to, to stay fresh and not repeat yourself which i think is why a lot of times you see bands veer off into one of two directions either they change drastically or you know they start releasing stuff that sounds kind of like what they did before but you can tell there's just no not a spark there so so anyway, that's kind of I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but but that's a that's a thing that I think about a lot. So all that to say, I'm I'm very thankful for everything that's happened so far, and 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 um, you know I'm still writing songs, so hopefully there's there's 
something left in the tank, but um, I do feel very uh, satisfied and very thankful for for uh, how it's gone so far. Matt, I, I'm sure you probably don't need to hear this, but please hear me say, don't worry about a long-winded answer. That's the beauty of this format. I love these interviews so much because in a 30-second soundbite, you can't possibly convey what it is that you're just that you just described and what you described is really beautiful and part of the human experience man you you have this overwhelming drive you accomplish it in some regards and now you kind of think what's next everybody has had that experience i think hopefully so you know that's great i think that that's a really neat thing and and as you were describing it i can think of a bunch of bands that mirror what you're describing in all the different stuff where whether it's the opeths who go from really heavy to they're no longer in metal bands or, you know, Catatonia follows that same trajectory insanely heavy. And then now they're basically jazz bands and they've had to reinvent themselves just because I think you need something to do new. You have to kind of study. You've already mastered this one craft. So now what's next? Um, But the other things that I was thinking about when you were talking was maybe what you're describing is the perfect foray into a few years down the road doing a tour where you just play a whole album start to finish because that seems like a really great way to kind of go back and a lot of bands are doing that go back and capitalize on hey wait a minute guys let's not overlook how great this you know ghost ship album was i'm gonna go on a tour and we're gonna play the whole thing top to bottom because it's so damn good yeah i agree and we actually talked about that before um you know when we realized it was the 10-year anniversary of mirror of souls which seems crazy so you know we i don't remember who brought it up i think it was the label you know about the idea of doing some sort of commemorative you know 10-year anniversary shows for that and and it was an interesting thing because it's like yeah you know i like that kind of thing too but is there a is there an element of of you know we don't have anything new you know once a band starts doing that it usually seems kind of like I don't know that necessarily an admission that their best days are behind them, but it, it's definitely something to think about. So, so yeah, I'm not opposed to it, but um, we haven't we haven't gotten to that point yet. <laughs> well, if you'll accept a casual fan's position, I think we, I speak for all of us saying we love the whole album tour thing because we sit at home and we sit in our cars and we sit at work and we listen to these albums top to bottom and we know every note. And then you get to go to the see it live and you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. I know every one of these. I know every word. So uh, don't be too self-critical. Uh, I think I think you'll probably find that a lot of your fans would really love something like that. So if it's okay with you, Matt, I know I could spend three hours listening to you talk about all the things because I'm just fascinated with musicians. But I'd like to shift gears into Ghost Ship and have you tell us about the recording process and what kind of were the inspiration for those ideas and then we'll just go track by track and you can explain you know what what you would want the listener to know about each song and the meaning and the deeper purpose and what drove you to write it so it um, doesn't have to be super super elaborate in any one of those sections and we can if there's an a song that you want to jump through quickly or in another where you want to spend more time we're going to turn it over to you so tell us about ghost ship all right um well, Ghost Ship was album number four. It was, uh, yeah, I think you said earlier, I think it came out in 2016, which is kind of hard to believe now. But uh, um, 
Yeah, so it was... Uh, I'm trying to go back to that space. I mean, As the World Bleeds was was a pretty big step forward for us in terms of, of uh, I guess, like it hit the, like one of the, some of the, like the billboard rock charts and all this, some of this stuff that was like, whoa, you know, what? You know, the stuff that kind of came out of nowhere and, and, you know, the song I Am, you know, really kind of took off with people. And, and so it was, that was, uh, it was a big step forward in a lot of ways. And, you know, and then moving to a five piece helped with that, you know, quite a bit because, you know, you know, suddenly we had great guitar solos and, and all this other sort of stuff. So, um, so it was a lot to live up to. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure with Ghost Ship, I guess. Um, and, uh, so we recorded at, at my studio, which we, we always do. That's my, that's kind of what I love besides songwriting, the, the things that I was always into were songwriting and sonics. And so, so that's my day job. Basically I do a lot of mixing and recording for other bands and, and things like that. And so, um, we did, uh, I'm trying to think. So it was a, a sort of a weird time because our, our drummer, Sean had already left. Um, and we had, it was, well, long story even even for a podcast that's kind of too long of a story but we um <laughs> there, yeah so there was there was a situation with that and and um and like we ended up needing a drummer and and um some other people didn't work out and and this kind of stuff and so and so Sean was cool doing it you know just basically as a as a session musician um uh uh, you know, until we, we figured out what was going on with the, the drummer position going forward. So, so he recorded and, and we, it was actually a lot of fun because my, my studio is pretty small and, and, you know, I've tracked full bands there several times, but it's, it's too small to do it comfortably really. And, um, and so I, for, for Ghost Ship, I, uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Harmon Caldwell, who's our, our webmaster, he, his dad owns an old, a big old farmhouse um, out in uh, a couple hours from here, uh, sort of, sort of near the area where like they film Walking Dead and all this stuff. So, um, I said, "Hey, you know, we we'd gone up there to hang out one weekend or something." And I I said, "Man, this place would be cool to record drums." Like, do you think your dad would be would be uh, all right with us uh, making it a, a makeshift studio for a week or something? So, so we got the approval from from Mr. Caldwell and, um, and basically turned that farmhouse into a, a tracking studio for drums, which was a lot of fun. It was real, uh, you know, it was real kind of fly by the seat of your pants and Spartan, but it had you know some nice wood rooms. And, and so, yeah, I got a U-Haul and packed basically like packed my entire studio into that thing and moved it up to, uh, to this farmhouse. And, and that's where we did the drum tracks. And then, um, from then on, it was, uh, you know, every, everything else was back to my studio for, for the overdubs and whatnot. You know, this one was, Ghost Ship was a little rushed. Uh, I mean, obviously it wasn't rushed because it, you know, it took a while after the, the first album. And, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, 
you know, the album suffered because of it, but, but schedule, I'm just talking about schedule. Um, we didn't have the time to, like with As the World Bleeds, we had, you know, we had enough rehearsal time where it was like, it, it didn't affect, you know, all the songs were already written and everything, but, but it was just like, we were ready to go pretty much, you know, when it came time to record. And then Ghost Ship was, was much more, um, you know, the record label was like, look, this needs to come out now, you know, which means it needs to be done by this date. And so there wasn't as much time to kind of get together and, and, um, I guess like get everything super tight in the rehearsal room. And so it was, it was kind of, it felt a little more rushed in that regard. And, you know, I don't, again, I don't think that would have, I mean, the songs were already written, so it's not, it's not like that would change the, you know, the makeup of the songs, but, but, um, I just remember with Ghost Ship always feeling like we were kind of trying to catch up, I guess. But, um, but I was so happy with the way it came out. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I, you know, a lot of guys are like, you know, I never want to hear this again. And I was always the opposite. I mean, I, I like listened to nothing but that album for, <laughs> for like the first couple months after we finished it, just cause I, I loved it so much. And then, um, you know, and then after that, I get to a point where I kind of put it away and don't come back to it really. But, but, uh, yeah, super proud of it. You got three of us right here who love it, so don't worry about that. <laughs> what what yeah, made you want to put Paper Tiger first? You know, you I think you always want to start with a really solid track. What made you want to place Paper Tiger number one? Um, yeah, it was that. It was like kind of, it just had that sort of. I'm not trying to compare, but you know, like a kind of that maidenish kind of almost like Aces High kind of feel. Like it just felt like a great first song. And um, that was actually, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that was the last song that we finished. Um, I, I just couldn't finish putting it together. I, it was, uh, I'm trying to think. So I had the, I had the intro riff, and I had the verses and the choruses. So, you know, so all the body of the song was there, but in terms of like finishing up the arrangement, that one took a while and and it was really John our guitar player who who like he came up with the ending of it and 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 uh, sort of helped us kind of finish stringing it together so um so that was the first song on the album but kind of the, the last song that we we finished in a lot of ways but but yeah that's that's actually one of my favorites and and uh you know even especially after playing so much of this stuff live you know I, I I really love that song still. And then you you follow that up with this the title track of the album Ghost Ship. What, you know, speak a little bit if you would about what created that track and the album name for Ghost Ship. Were they kind of tied? Had you written that song and felt so strongly about it you wanted to name the album that or how did that go? Um a couple interesting things about that song. So, well, it's funny because you know I mentioned that Paper Tiger was the last one, and Ghost Ship was the other last one, um, not to be finished. It was done arrangement wise, but like those were the last two songs that that I sent to the other guys. So the you know the picture of the the record that they probably had from 
from the other demos I'd sent was kind of incomplete. So it's like, it's like, no, I've got these other, these other two that are, are, are really good. And so, you know, I remember, uh, I don't remember uh, which came first as far as, um, you know, the idea for for that being the title track or whatever. But, you know, I remember sent, you know, asking the guys what they thought about you know, Ghost Ship as a title and, and sort of explaining the idea that I had and, and uh, you know, they liked it and, and I said, was there a Ghost Ship song? And I was like, yeah, there is, and, you know. And so I, uh, and so I sent that and, and then the interesting thing about that song is, is I, I dreamed like the entire chorus, which never happens to me. And I've always been so jealous of these songwriters that are like, you know, I, I dreamt this great song idea, you know, this whole thing came to me in a dream and I just woke up and wrote it all down. You know, that I've, I've always been jealous of that because I've never, ever had that happen. Um, or if something did, you know, I, could, I couldn't remember it. And I, I remember listening to an interview years ago with, with Billy Joel where he was like, you know, sometimes I'll dream something and get up and write it down and you know, come back the next morning and listen to it. And it's just like, you know, there's like nothing to it. You know, it's just completely illegible, you know, nonsense. And so <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of me too. But this one, I, I remember, you know, the whole chorus I had, you know, the, the lyric, the melody, everything and remembered it. And I, I was, you know, recorded it when I woke up and I was like, I don't even know what this really means, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I like it. And, and so I, I kind of wrote the song around that and um and I knew that I wanted to do I wanted to have a song with that kind of intro where it's just that super simple heavy riff at that tempo that just kicks straight in and it's kind of just a great kind of headbanging, you know, that kind of feel because we didn't really have anything quite like that. So um so that's really where it, it came from, you know, all those things kind of, kind of pieced together and, and became that song. And, uh, and then it seemed natural to make it, you know, to shoot a video for it and have it be the, the, uh, lead single on the title track. Every time I listen through this album, I get the chorus where you sing, pay the piper. Here we go. Got a ticket for a one-way journey. Slay the Viper. Uh, just the way you do that pitch and the way you sing it, it gets stuck in my head every single time. Yeah, that's a good one for that one. Oh, thank you. Well, it's yeah that that was all that was all dreamt. Well, it was like it was a great gift. I was think I was thankful for it. I wish it happened more often. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so you you transition from track two to track three, which is a natural progression, I suppose. <laughs> and then you go. This song is called yeah. "The Wonder of <laughs> It All," which is another awesome song. Well, tell us about this one. So the wonder of it all, that intro riff I had for a long time. Um, I remember I wrote it kind of off the cuff when playing around with some new amps and uh, just sort of as a thrashy thing to kind of you know, test some amps with. And, and so, so that whole section had been around for, for a while. And then, um, and then the rest of it came just sort of in pieces. Um, I, I really liked the the uh, the lyrical approach of, of these being sort of uh, of uh, different things that kind of 
I don't know, don't seem to make sense on their own and, and almost seem contradictory in a way and, and then you sort of go through them one by one and kind of explore and and, and that that's kind of the that was kind of the idea of the lyric and and uh, and then musically you know it was just it was just based around that kind of thrashy feel and and the the chorus was so so soaring and the, and the pre-chorus um, just the way it fit together and that was one that we 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 did have time to kind of kind of get together and work the arrangement out a little bit more um, in the rehearsal room you know especially in the, the middle section of it you know some of the like the F sharp riffs and sort of that that kind of part you know we so you know we were able to kind of jam through that uh, quite a bit and uh, and it was fun and and it's uh, yeah people people seem to love that song it's a it's a monster to try to sing live though I'll tell you that <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a relentless song uh, lyrically too. Like, there's a there's a couple of pauses where you think it's gonna transition or, or linger, and then you just get right back into singing. And it's like it, that sounds like a it would be tough, but it's just it's a it's one of my favorite tracks on the album. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a banger, no doubt. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, and then those key changes, you know, like in the the second half of the choruses, it's like when we do that song live, it's like why did I why did I write this this high? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um. But yeah, you know, live and learn. But it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites too. Well, I, I think Phil's uh, favorite two tracks, maybe I'm speaking out of school here, Phil, but don't you think Wishing Well and Around the World and Back, those are two of your top three favorite on the tra- on the album, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I have to say. I'm, Around the World and Back is my favorite, but uh, Wishing Well is so good. I get that in my head all the time, man. Um, I just... I just the way you say a penny for the wishing well. It, like I wasn't expecting you to sing it in that way. I don't know why. And so it always it, it was always like a it felt like a novel kind of approach, even though it's not necessarily. It's just what I had in my head. I just love the way it's done. So wishing well is real strong. Thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I I listened to that song not too long ago because we haven't played it in a while, and and um I was uh I don't want to say I was pleasantly surprised by thinking it was it was good too, but I was like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about this one, you know. Um, right. But that was uh, that was one that so we've done with Alterium, our record label. We've done this uh, this sort of charity project called Project Aegis, which is you know we've released two songs so far, um, three by the time this podcast is out, but um, and basically with a bunch of different singers and, and you know the proceeds from the song all go to, to different charitable causes like the first one was to feed uh, homeless people in Nashville um, through a through a, uh, a program called the Bridge Bunch and then and then the second one was uh, for food and clothes for, for uh, homeless and refugee families in Greece and um, Wishing Well originally was going to be a song for that project um, even lyrically, you know, you can kind of tell it's sort of, sort of about that kind of thing, and and um, and then uh, I don't remember why. Yeah, I think it just felt like a like more like a theocracy song, you know, and and um, and uh, so originally it wasn't necessarily earmarked for the for the next theocracy record, but um, but yeah, every, the guys all liked it, and and. Um, and we ended up doing it, so um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else 
about the creation of that song in particular, but um, I think I had. Go ahead. Sorry, Matt, to cut sort of sorry to cut across you there, but I'm always interested in placement as you're thinking about other things about wishing well. Why? why what went into the consideration? Is it length of song? Is it tempo? Is it all that stuff? Yeah, it's all that stuff, and and also even you know the key of the song and, and sort of how this one ends and how this next one starts you know and you know john's really good at that kind of thing too especially thinking about set lists and 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 uh you know live stuff because i you know the the way it feels to play and and well this one kind of has a chuggy e riff for a while at the end and you know we you know this song kind of starts in a similar way and i don't really think about those things as much as as how it is to to sing and and uh whatever so um so yeah track listing and 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 running order i i spend a ton of time on i mean you know there there certain things about it are obvious you know i mean again paper tiger kind of a no-brainer of an opener you know easter kind of a no-brainer of a closer and then it gets it gets tricky you know and i'm i guess i'm i'm it's funny because like growing up you know as a kid you know even with like cassettes and and cds and stuff i still kind of think of albums and sides in a way which i think is a good thing and i hate that that's been lost um i, I think i think that was a, a very important thing uh, in regards to to track listings and running order and and so and so that's kind of what it comes down to uh you know a lot of times in the way our stuff's broken up i mean you know at, around the world and back feels like the end of side one and stir the embers feels like the beginning of side two to me and um and so once you know once you break it down in halves like that it's a little bit easier to to kind of put together um so specifically i don't remember why Wishing Well ended up number four, but it just felt right for whatever reason, you know, between between Winter of It All and Around the World and Back. And um, I think musically, Wishing Well, I think I had the intro riff. I had that for a while. So I think that came first. And then, um, and then the thrashy part at the end... Um, I just thought it was kind of cool the way it sort of steps up unexpectedly. And, and, um, I, I've always got a ton of, of individual parts kicking around. I mean, my, my phone and stuff is just full of just hundreds and hundreds of riffs and melodies, you know, and, and, and so you just live with them for a while and, 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 uh, eventually, you know, if, if it works out well, you know, it, it becomes clear. It's like, oh yeah, this, this part fits well with that old thing from two years ago and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it went. Around the World and Back, I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and talk about two since you brought it up. Um, yeah, that's one that I love, I love as well. It's the perfect ender to side one, the way you describe that, because you start the side one with this kind of, not negative, but you're, there's a lot of criticism and, and kind of hypocrisy observation whereas this is such an uplifting beautiful you know powerful song yeah thank you thank you i uh yeah i remember i remember writing it um it, i was i don't know what i was doing but i was messing around um on my keyboard 
and played that intro melody with that sound, you know, that kind of like music box, uh, childlike thing. So I, I, you know, it wasn't, you know, normally for me, it's like, it, you know, the melody is, is king and it can be, you know, when I, when I came up with the idea, it could be like, it could be on a guitar, it could be, um, you know, with orchestra sounds, you know, on a keyboard or whatever, it could be a piano thing or, or, um, or just in my head, and it, but it doesn't really matter. It's just a, about the melody because it can, you know, it can be anything, you know, once you take it out of that context. But in this case, they were really sort of inextricably linked. I mean, that, you know, that intro thing with that sound, it just sort of had that, that, uh, that kind of childlike wonder kind of feel. And so that ended up inspiring the, the lyrics and, and kind of what the song, uh, you know turned into it's it's basically you know it, it's sort of a journey of kind of getting back to like a childlike faith you know in terms of the lyrics and sort of stripping away a lot of the a lot of the uh the baggage that that uh people like to attach to to faith and to belief and 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 so it, it was you know i spend a lot of time you know thinking hard and and uh really working on making sure that you know the music and the lyric and the feel are uh, are perfectly married you know I, I don't like when when things feel incongruous I mean even in terms of I don't know that's just sort of where instinct comes in I mean you you know I, I can listen to a, a riff or a melody and, and you know look at the titles that I've got and it's just like ah oh, that just doesn't that piece of music doesn't feel like that title doesn't feel like that subject matter you know and then and, and so when it does that's kind of when you when you're onto something and um and in this case they kind of they kind of went hand in hand and uh and that's how that song came about matt was there a specific reason for the lyric so many try to qualify the promises that i've made to twist the gift into some kind of trade because both phil and i find that to be the most captivating part of the song both lyrically and in your performance it's just really a beautiful idea and i know everyone can relate to that in a lot of different generalizations or even maybe some specific things from a distance of some other person's behavior or statements or requirements but was there a specific event that led you to write something like that in your life or was it more of a general observation not one specific thing but but sort of um, just sort of enough instances of hearing um, people add things to the gospel. Um, it, you know, that's what I was getting at specifically in that case. You know, it's like, you know, jumping through all these hoops and having to uh, to do this and do that and, and, and work so hard to... to get something that is presented as, as a free gift, you know, that, that's what I was getting at in that. And, um, it's sort of the, it's sort of the whole, the kind of cliche, I guess, of, you know, religion versus, versus faith and that sort of thing, you know, getting kind of stripping away the, the kind of man-made rules and regulations and, and, or whatever you want to call it, just the baggage that's kind of that's kind of attached to um, the way the gospel's presented in a, in a lot of cases. 
it just bugs me. And um, I, I'd heard so there wasn't one instance per se I, I, that jumps out, but it was just over and over and over of, of um, presenting it like, you know, you have to work so hard to, you know, to get yourself worthy to, you know, this and that. And it's like, well, is it a gift or is it not a gift? That's not how gifts work, you know? And that, that's kind of what I was thinking of. And, 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 uh, and it just worked with that song and, 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 uh, that line in particular, I think. Well, I gotta tell, I gotta share this with you. My wife and I have twin eight year olds and I play this album around the house relatively frequently. And often my son, I can hear him humming this song and he will sing that portion of the song. So in my endeavor to keep him, you know, turning toward God and, and having the faith and the spirit of love, it's helped me because he, whether he's conscious of it or subconsciously, it's there. He recognizes that this is a beautiful song and the message is pure love. So kudos to you, man. So oh, that's awesome, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing. Absolutely. Cool absolutely. He, he, when I told him we were interviewing today, he said, Oh really? That's so cool. Tell him I said, I love his CD. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Tell him. Thanks, man. I'll make sure he listens to it. So, okay. Uh, the, the next one, call it the start of disc two or side two for uh, us mm-hmm. who are used to the tape decks in the cars. Stir the Embers. What do you think of that one? So Stir the Embers was, uh, I love that song. I wish we we would play it more live. <clears throat> it's got a great energy. And uh, that was, so we'd only done one other song in, in Drop D Tuning which was Laying the Demon to Rest from our, our second album. And so I wanted to do something else um, in, in that tuning, basically. That, that's, that's kind of where it started, and, and I had that riff. And, and um, I, was, I spent a long time with that song on the tempo. I was listening to something that I really liked, and... and you know, mapped out the exact tempo because I, I just liked the way it it felt. And it felt like we didn't have something that sat quite in that, <clears throat> excuse me, sat quite in that space. You know, we had a lot of really fast stuff and then like slower, heavy stuff, but there was a, that kind of, fa- you know, uppity fast, but not like super thrashy speed metal kind of tempo, you know, along with that tuning, there was just a power to it. And, um, and so that one was really about the tuning and the riff and uh, the tempo and the and the energy. And I liked that it was I liked that it's kind of kind of short and uh, and kind of no nonsense to the point. The next one I got to get to because I love it and I sing it all the time. Call to Arms. You'd have that unbelievably catchy kind of marching uh, chorus there. Tell us about how you came to develop that. So there was a band called Twilightning, which is like a power metal band. Um, I don't think they're around anymore. And I, there was a stretch where I was big into to one of their records, and they had a song um, that uh, I think the song I was listening to was called Diamonds of Mankind. And it had, I loved the feel of the chorus, and I was trying to get something like that, something that felt sort of anthemic in that way. Yeah, I don't know that I quite got there, but um, but that was the that was one where I, I definitely uh, you know went in with with something that I wanted to accomplish um, in mind with 
you know, with that chorus in particular in that song. And then that, um, the intro to that song, that riff, has been around since uh, probably like first album, uh, first or second album. I mean, years and years that that thing goes back. So I'd had that for the longest time and, and never done anything with it. And um, and then same for the verse riff. That dun, 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 dun. I, I really like the stops and the starts in it. And uh, and thought it it, uh, it had such a cool feel so it was kind of just marrying those two things you know that sort of um, that that kind of mid-tempo anthem thing felt like it worked worked perfectly with that that type of chorus that I was going for I think when I had given Phil this album to review for our a proper episode of our show I recall him saying that when he listened to the chorus this is a revolution this is a call to arms that that was just burned into his brain is that right Phil Oh yeah, absolutely. Of course, I feel like I say that about every song. I'm like, yeah, man, this one really gets stuck in your head. Yeah, like they all do, by my opinion. But, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. Well, thanks, man. That that's uh that's real encouraging to hear. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's another one that that we haven't done as much live that we probably should. Because um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty oh, yeah. catchy. Hey. I think. Also, not not super easy to sing either. But <laughs> hey, you know, you might consider uh, going on a tour where you play the entire album. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Someone bring it up already? I feel like that sounds familiar. <laughs> hey, I'd be down for it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's jump to track eight then. Currency in a bankrupt world. Cool, cool album. I mean, cool song title uh, in and of itself. Very depictive of what you're trying to get across. So, tell us about that one. Thanks. Yeah, that was on the the titles list for, for quite a while. Um, and funny story, I was, uh, at some point the movie almost famous was on and, and, uh, there's a point where Philip Seymour Hoffman says that phrase currency in a bankrupt world. And, you know, I, I, I saw that and I was like, I was like, well, that's been on my titles list. That must be where I got it from. I had no memory of, of, um, I assume I, I probably that's probably when I you know I heard that and I was like oh cool phrase and wrote it down, but I had no memory of it at that point. But I'm presumably that's where it came from. But yeah, I wanted to write like an anti-suicide song, and there there wasn't really you know there was no um, no specific impetus you know behind it as much as uh, I don't know I was just feeling you know we met especially on on tour in Europe you know we meet so many kids you know uh, and they seemed so young you know and they they seemed to be going through so much and they would tell us about it and, and like just the depression and, and all this stuff and I, I think it just kind of weighed on me and um, and so you know the the it's, it's a story song and, and specific scenarios but that you know as, as far as I know consciously I mean you know the 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 stories you know specifically in lyrics weren't inspired by anything uh, they're not based on any actual you know specific person or anything it's just kind of a kind of a amalgam of of sort of all these different things that that you know people have told me over the years and and things and and um i 
I really like that one musically because it reminds me so much of Queen Drake. So it, it kind of gets me back to my old my old fanboy. You know, in fact, there's a lot of um, a lot of those kind of moments on on this record. You know, between that song and Easter, especially. You know, there's a lot of sort of I can hear a lot of my kind of earliest musical roots there, and and I think it's uh, I like that song a lot because it's it's different for us too. You know, it's it's a little. I don't know. I just, I just really, I love everything about it. Not for nothing, Matt. We interviewed Brittany Slays, the lead singer of Unleash the Archers, in I think middle or early 2019, and she was talking about Queensryche being such a big influence on her and her band and her musical style. So it seems like that's a a uh, mainline uh, influential band. So you're in good company there. Yeah, yeah, especially for what we do. You know, that was there was definitely, I think, a gateway for for a lot of people and uh, yeah that's awesome so you're coming down to the last two tracks here last one the second to last one is Castaway and then followed up by the longest track on the album which is Easter so tell us about where you are in the thought processes Castaway and Easter are being placed at this point on the album you said Easter was an obvious closer I think for a lot of self-evident reasons but what about Castaway being right here at number nine that's a tough spot it's because it was fast, um, you know, coming out of Called Arms and Currency, which are both pretty mid-tempo. And then Easter is, is a lot of it's kind of mid-tempo. It's like, well, we need something up-tempo in this spot. And um, Castaway is another one that that um, I think I think Castaway was the first song written for the album. Um, as far, it wasn't the oldest musical thing on the album that would have been the call to arms riff but um in terms of something completed castaway was done pretty early on in fact to the point where you know i remember at some point when when it had been a while uh between records you know we had talked about even uh releasing castaway as just a random one-off single you know you know before before ghost ship had taken shape or anything um, so it had been around for a while, and um, and uh, it kind of continues the theme. I didn't really talk about it earlier with Ghost Ship, but there's like, uh, you know, lyrically uh, with that one, I wanted to, you know, our previous album, As the World Bleeds, there had been a lot of kind of, uh, I was I was pretty, I wouldn't say harsh, but kind of, you know, kind of critical in the lyrics and kind of sort of, there was a lot of, you know, observational stuff about, about sort of the state of the world and, and and whatnot, and so I, you know, I really felt with this one, you know, with Ghost Ship, I wanted to be a little more hopeful um, overall and, and more encouraging. You know, I, I mean, everything that we write, you know, that I, you know, I, I try to have a a thread of that in there, but um, you know, I, I just for whatever reason felt coming off the last record specifically that I wanted to to kind of you know make an effort to to make sure I was encouraging and uplifting in spots on, on Ghost Ship. And, and so that's kind of, you know, a lot of what the title track's about, you know, kind of the misfits and, and sort of um, being viewed as kind of being dead in the eyes of the world. And, and, and that, that's sort of where that came from. And then Castaway kind of, kind of continues that, um, that thread sort of in a different way. You know, it's more about sort of being, being cast out for for doing the right thing in situations when it might not be popular and and that sort of thing. So you know when you look at, at that song and you look at currency and you look at ghost ship, you know there's there's 
you know, it's, by no means is it a, a concept album, but there's definitely a thread, you know, in, in some of the songs that, that sort of, uh, that sort of moves in that direction. And it's, you know, it's probably based off, again, you know, talking to so many people on tour and, and kids, you know, and, and, and uh, it, it wasn't a, a conscious or planned thing, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure that had, you know, quite an effect on me. And, and I think you see it, you see it poke through in, in those lyrics. And then reading the lyrics for Easter, I think one gets a very clear sense that that's about the Easter bunny and leaving <laughs> baskets of candy around for kids. It is. So, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge Reese's fan. And so <laughs> I, yeah, it's about that perfect melding of, of peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> so, so in all sincerity, it's very clearly about the, uh, you know, the, the true Easter story, the crucifixion story and the ri- rising of, again. So uh, you know, that's clear that you uh, in Christianity would have that, you know, knowledge base. But why on this album at this time, close out track, you know, approaching 10 minutes, unusual for you guys. What was it about that song and about that story that you felt compelled to produce a song about? Well, I've always had a thing about, um, I, I always feel like I need a, a, uh, an angle for a song that I, I haven't seen done a lot. And that's, that's tough, especially in, in Christian music, because there's been, there's been so much written and so much of it is so samey that, you know, finding something original is not always easy. And obviously there's, there's plenty of stuff out there about the Easter story, but but the thing I was fascinated by that I hadn't seen done so much was was kind of um, leading up to that and sort of the hopelessness and and sort of um, pre-resurrection, the the feeling of uh, you know, wow, I guess all this was a lie, or I guess all this was for nothing, and and that kind of the the real you know feeling among you know the disciples and and the people in that time and and so that's sort of what I, I was trying to to focus on because it you know there was there was so much you know back then about um you know the kingdom of god being a a, a governmental thing and a political thing you know and it's like it's like wow all this and then nothing happens and it's all a, you know a big letdown and and whatever so it you know that was the the thread for me um in terms of of uh you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna make this the song, you know, let's come at it from from kind of this angle and sort of try to put yourself um, in the shoes of of the people of that time who have you know given their their lives, um, you know, not not you know in terms of being put to death at that point, but you know, given you know their their daily lives basically, you know, and, you know, in you know following and and, and uh, sort of embodying this belief or whatever and then it sort of seems like nothing happens with it and it's like wow you know but it was all for nothing and so that that's kind of uh, that was kind of the thought process behind that and then you know as is the case uh, with all the epics that I write you know it's just a matter of um, well a they they never I never plan on them being that long uh, Mirror Souls was going to be like an eight-minute song, and it eventually became whatever, 23 minutes. 
And this was was kind of a similar case. I mean, I knew it would be would be long, but they always end up a little longer than than planned. And um, I had the I sort of think of that song in in uh, in three sections, you know, which is the whole first build up thing with the all the cool chords and and uh, me trying to do my best Krista Garma impression. And then there's like the orchestral cool middle section, and then of course the the sort of acoustic sing along ending thing, which which was another case of you know a thing that that we'd never done before. You know, I had I had that as its own piece, the acoustic thing towards the end. Um, it, you know, musically I had it written. I, I think I was writing it for for another artist, and ended up really liking it. And and um, I was like, well, you know, we have some moments here and there, but we don't have anything that really feels just like that, you know, and, and, you know, so that felt like a cool thing to do for theocracy. And it's been great. I mean, we've, even at shows where we've, we haven't had time to, to play the whole song, you know, a lot of times we'll play just that section and, and the crowd just sings it, you know, and, and, um, we almost don't have to do anything. So it's, it's really cool. I love that song. It's actually my, my favorite on the album. Awesome. And you mentioned something in there that Phil had pointed out in our review episode, which was you talked about governments of yore or kingdoms, however they were described at the time, having being ruled by their impressions of religion or spirituality or what were you know divinity, however they described it, and that to me kind of is the way I describe the word theocracy. So, and Phil was asking the great question, which is in naming your band Theocracy, I'm sure you've been asked this a dozen times, but was that somewhat um, an ironic choice or is that, you know, in the purest sense, is the theocracy what you think is superior if it's done with nothing but love in the genuine way? What was the kind of 90 second story on that? Well, that went way back because I, I, uh, for the longest time, you know, way before I had a band, way before I had an album, you know, I had these songs, but there was, I was like, I, I didn't have a band name for years. And I was like, well, I, I'm not going to rush this. I got to wait till it's, it's right. And, and I wrote the song Theocracy, which was about, you know, the, like the chorus, you know, says Theocracy Within. It's about, you know, living your life in a certain way and trying to do the right thing and live by God's will, et cetera. And so it has nothing to do with, you know, governments and, and that sort of thing. And it's funny because, um, I, especially in recent years, it's become such a politicized word, which is kind of, it's unfortunate and it's annoying because it's not used accurately. It's, it's bizarre. It's like the, it's like, well, if you look up the, you know, the textbook definition of theocracy, it's a, a government run by God. And so you can't accuse all these governments that you don't like of being theocracies unless you're saying that their ruler is God. <laughs> you know, it's it's a different, it's come to mean a, a religious dictatorship, which is a different thing. But um, anyway, so it's, it's unfortunate that it's kind of become such a charged and, and a political term. But yeah, there was nothing in... Uh, you know, when I wrote that song and, and named the band that had anything at all to do with politics, obviously, you know, it's all, uh, it's all in the lyrics of the, of the title track of the song. And it's just, um, theocracy within. 
like a just like spiritually governed yourself kind of yeah 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 that makes sense cool well matt i'd like to do a couple things that we do to close out every interview and if you're cool with it i'm going to hit you with a couple the the first one is tell your fans listening and those who are listening who may not yet be theocracy fans where they should go and how they should follow you guys because you got a great website at theocracymusic.com but I don't know if you guys are more active on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of the three. So tell folks at home where they should go to be more involved, follow you guys and that type of stuff. Yeah. Theocracymusic.com is the website. Um, we're on Facebook, obviously I think it's theocracy band. Um, but if, if you search theocracy on Facebook, you'll see us And between those two things. Um, you know, we, we keep, all our info out there, uh, pretty much, uh, uh, recently started Instagram as well. Um, so you can search for us on there. Uh, we have a Twitter account. It's, I, I don't really do any of the social media stuff. That's all done by the label. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of flying blind on this, but I, I think the Twitter pretty much just, uh, you know, uh, CCs, whatever's, you know, sent to Facebook or whatever. So, I would say, I would say, you know, check Facebook, check the website. Um, those are the best uh, two ways to keep to keep up with what's going on with us. Perfect. And since you, specifically, you working with other bands doing recording, and you sound to me in some ways like Dan Sueno, uh, I'm thinking we always ask, hey, give us the two or three albums that you're listening to. You know, what are you newer stuff post 2000? Our show is all about post-2000 great heavy music. But are there bands or albums that you think are criminally unpopular or un, um, that are criminally underrepresented in the mainstream? If there's something like that, share it so we can go listen to it. Oh, man. Um, there's so much. There's, well... The latest Arch Matheos record, uh, Winter Ethereal, that's, um, you know, it's Jim Matheos and John Arch the from Early Fates Warning. I love that album. I, that was probably my favorite album last year. Um, I listen to it constantly, I think. I, I'm a I'm a big Fates fan, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of most of what Jim does anyway. I think he's one of the best, you know, writers that we have, but... Um, yeah, I love that record. I think uh, I I liked some of the first one that they. Well, see, John Arch released an EP in in like two thousand three called Twist of Fate, and I love that. And then the first Arch Matheus album in two thousand eleven, I I liked some of it. It was it's cool. It's a little. Uh, it's not as memorable. It's a little uh, kind of dense and same. It has great moments, don't get me wrong, but I thought I just thought this new one was just a quantum leap forward. I think great songs, memorable, um, fantastic lyrics. I think I think John's one of the best lyricists around now. Um, so that's the one that jumps to mind immediately um, just because I, I played it so much. Um, you Perfect. Know, since it came I'm going to check it out tonight. It, yeah, and then, and it, it's very, you know, it's dense. I mean, it definitely takes several listens. And then, um, the other one I would say, there's a band that I, I recorded and mixed called Paladin uh, from Atlanta. And um, their debut album, Ascension, came out uh, last year as well. And uh, definitely check that out too if you haven't heard it. It's uh, it's just killer. I mean, they're, they're 
they're straight up power metal uh, with a little bit of thrash, you know, so it's it's up-tempo, speedy stuff for the most part and melodic and just insane guitar players and, and Taylor's got an amazing voice. So they're, um, I'm really happy for those guys because it's, it's, uh, it seems to be doing well for them so far and, and we worked really, really hard on it and um, I'm still happy with how it sounds and everything and, and they deserve, they deserve all the uh, attention and credit uh, they can get. So uh, check out Paladin if you haven't already. I am familiar with that one. That one's great. And that one does have a lot of buzz around it. So you guys did a nice job there for sure. How is that? Uh, before I let you go, I'm last question. I promise. Is that pretty rewarding and, and validating when you get to have a little bit of a hand in somebody else's sound and help just smooth out the rough edges and make it perfect? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, this, especially in this case, because they're, well, they're great guys and, and they're, you just never know what you're going to get with this kind of thing. You know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the case of like it is sometimes where it's like, well, let's try that again, but this time tune your guitar, you know, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. These guys are, are just top notch A1 players. And, and so they really had their stuff together. And, and so we, we just had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of laughs and, and, um, and, uh, it wasn't, it, you know, my, my role was pretty much sonics, you know, and, and making it sound great. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, of, I guess what you would call producing. I mean, it was, you know, a little bit in terms of, you know, let's try, you know, this vocal melody, try it singing it higher or try just little stuff like that. But they, they really, you know, knew what they wanted and, and, um, and we're, we're good about getting it. So it was, it was a pretty joyful, joyful experience so um I'm, I'm really happy for him awesome awesome well you you have made phil and i really happy getting this opportunity to speak with you today thank you so much we're going to push this out to every outlet we can to make sure everybody gets exposed to your guys's fascinatingly beautiful music and uh you know again thank you so much and phil thank you for as always being my brother on this one. Oh yeah no problem thank you very much uh really appreciate your time and it was great to talk to you Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Alex. I, I really means a lot how much you guys like the record. It's, uh, I mean, I never take that for granted. It's one of those things, you know, we worked so hard on it. So it's when people really appreciate it and, and uh, get as much out of it as we put into it, it, it really it really means a lot. So thanks for all the kind words and thanks for uh, for having me on to talk. And um, and it was a pleasure to talk to you guys. And can I, can I mention one more thing really quick? Sure. Yeah. So we did, um, I mentioned earlier, this Project Aegis thing that we did, um, a couple charity tracks, and there's, uh, by the time this comes out, there will be a third one out called And the Rest is Mystery. It's coming out um, Friday, February 7th. Nobody knows that yet, but um, by the time you listen to this, it should be out. So so if you haven't heard that, if you like the Arcacy, check that out too. It's, you know, I wrote it and um, and produced it, and it's basically, I uh, wrote it for different singers. So we got Neil Morse on there, and... and got uh, Daniel Hyman from Lost Horizon and and Leah and it's it's really cool it's like a, a nine minute plus sort of little mini epic so and then um all the all the sales from it go f- to this company called or not company but this nonprofit called uh, Legacy Music which they basically they're in California and they provide music instruments and 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 lessons to to kids from tough backgrounds so it could be you know foster systems or or abuse you know sexual abuse or or uh, 
traffic even you know they, they work with all kinds of kids so so everything from the song goes towards that so it's a good cause and and um i'm really happy with how that came out too so so check that out as well perfect and for those of you listening project aegis is project of course and a e g i s so just type that into your phone and uh, buy the track from amazon or itunes and the money goes to a great cause there you go thanks phil thanks alex thank you matt we'll talk to you soon man all right brother nice to meet you guys you too you too see ya (laughs) 